Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is Strictly Confidential. So, Asher, you want to hear about something that happened to me this week? Yeah, I heard you had a hot date. I did have several hot dates. The issue is I'm on Whole30, which is a flashback to Banter Boys, if any of you guys ever listened to my old podcast. I I may have been the only one who did. I wouldn't super recommend it, um, but it, it was fun. I... So I'm doing Whole30, meaning there's a limited amount of food I can eat right now. And I did some Googling at work the other day and Googled what snacks can Whole30 boys consume and still be Whole30. And one of them was specific kinds of Lara bars. So Lara bars, I at first absolutely hated, but have found that I really love them now. And the, the three flavors that I've really enjoyed are pecan pie, apple pie, and lemon bar. And they're all Whole30. Nice. So last week, I probably ate about 10 Lara bars. What I... (laughs) Okay. At the beginning of last week, I started getting this horrible rash on my fingers. Jeez. I did not realize that I could possibly be allergic to dates, which composes about 90% of Lara bars. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, those, those vegan healthy bars usually use dates to congeal all the substances together. Yeah, that's and how so, you get that natural chewiness, which now is unfortunate because I genuinely do really like them. Yeah, I bought two five packs of them and bought them because I was interested in having a good protein filled snack I could use. So what are you going to do with all these now worthless Lara bars? Well, my problem uh, isn't that I have that many extra. Oh, you ate- <laughs> <laughs> which is how I found out I was allergic how are you doing, man? Like, it, so you had a rash, but I, I, it didn't I, destroy your stomach. I had a, uh, you're not hospitalized. I'm not hospitalized. I My rash was so bad the other night that I couldn't fall asleep, and so I went and showered and, like, soaked myself wherever the rash was in body wash. And okay. then I, I was able to, like, numb the itching enough for me to go to sleep. Jeez, man. And so I, I, that night I was like, in the morning, I'm calling a doctor going in to see what's up. And then when I woke up, I realized, oh no, it's the Laura bars. And so out of the 10, I ate nine of them. (laughs) Uh, Which is so darn convenient and delicious. They're convenient and delicious. And I didn't realize that it could possibly be the problem that immediately after I would eat one, I would immediately feel more itchy. Yeah, the problem is that you don't get allergies just for things you don't like to eat. Plenty of uh, people who are lactose intolerant and they just power through it because they love ice cream so much. Willing to suffer. That's 100% Shannon. Hmm, how am I going to transition? How am I going to do it? Well, you could talk about dates as in the food and compare it to dates as in the year. Hmm, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty weak, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> Speaking of dates, we already know how you feel about the food, the date. <coughs> Let me try that again. Speaking of dates, what are, we already know how your feelings about the, uh, the food, but how do you feel about the date 2500 BC? Uh, 2500 BC? Yeah. Uh, I, I, would, I would say I have few feelings about the, that specific year. Um, as in next to none. I think it's convenient that the year is so nice looking. 
Okay, well, when I... Here's some backstory. Here's a preface. When I was trying to figure out what we were going to talk about this week, I thought I would be really cute and just Google the oldest trick in the book. Because I wanted to find out what the very first magic trick or sleight of hand really was. And if that was something we could know. Ooh. 2500 BC is the year that comes up pretty quickly when you search that question. And there's a pretty clear and easy answer, surprisingly. And it says that in ancient Egypt in 2500 BC, there was a magician named Didi, or D-E-D-I, so Dedi, but Didi is how we normally pronounce it in English. Okay. And he had a variation of the cup and balls routine, which is something you see a lot on Pin and Teller and is one of the oldest magic tricks. However, this is wrong. This is also why I wanted to do this episode, because it is a lot of those things were correct, but they were put together incorrectly. There's actually no evidence of this whatsoever. And it seems like someone got a lot of facts confused, pieced them back together, and then it was just accepted and spread around. And so you hear this story a lot on uh, magicians blogs some very unofficial resources that are like the history of magic. And they mention the cup and balls routine of Didi the magician, even though there is no historical evidence to substantiate this. I have a couple questions already. Okay. Didi the magician, how large was their YouTube channel? It would have been pretty large. And this is a real guy, Didi the magician. And I would love to talk about him because he is an interesting character and an important part of the puzzle to actually answering this question. No further questions, Your Honor. Okay, so like I said, a lot of the parts of that statement are true, but it's a little bit more complicated than that, as things usually are. And unfortunately, there is a notable lack of information on the magician Didi, who is a historical figure, or at least does appear on the Westcar Papyrus. What is a... Is, yeah, go on. <laughs> what is a Westcar Papyrus? Yes. <laughs> Well, it was really important to uh, furthering our understanding of how grammar works in there. The uh, there's hieroglyphs and then there's hieratic, which is another form. Uh, it's like basically the Egyptian form of cursive. Mm. And our understanding of how the grammar works is due in no small part to the West Carp Papyrus. So mm. what are some of the stories? Well, the West Carp Papyrus, ancient Egypt text containing five stories about miracles performed by priests and, keyword here, magicians. It being one of the oldest pieces of parchment with words on it that we have, it's become to believe that that is the earliest documentation we have of magicians in the way that we think of them today. So I want to make an important distinction from the very top here. Magic was kind of indistinguishable from the clergy and religion and mythology, right? There are examples of miracles and magical things happening that go back as far as the written word does. But we're not talking about myth and religion. We're looking specifically for magicians who are performing sleight of hand. Real people creating illusions for entertainment. Because so much of the other mythical, magical stuff can be loosely connected to religion. Right. Stuff that would appear in opposing cultures in the Bible. Where yes. like in ancient Egyptian culture in the Bible, when Moses uh, came to the Egyptians and the Pharaoh had 
Pharaoh's magicians battle Moses's uh, stuff. Totally. But in the Bible, it's not really presented like they're doing illusions. They're performing parlor tricks. It's more like they're using demonic power to actually do these things. Right. Which is which is interesting. Sure. It's not nearly as interesting to me as you moving a dollar from your wallet into my ear. Because then you have an extra dollar. Although in the very underrated or at least underappreciated DreamWorks film, The Prince of Egypt, one of my all time favorite movies, they do a great job of making it ambiguous as to whether or not the magicians in Pharaoh's court are just doing parlor tricks or if they have some kind of power. You're playing with the big boys now. Knew I wouldn't be able to get through this episode without mentioning it. It's a a good one. I probably haven't seen it in over a decade. It gets better with age. You got to watch it again. I was looking at the... I don't know why I'm this kind of person, but I was looking at the cast list the other day. It has a stacked freaking cast. Yeah, man. Anyway, I feel like we need a little more groundwork here. Do you want to talk more about how the Westcar Papyrus was found or more just about the magician that it talks about, Didi the Magician? Ooh, I get my choose your own adventure style. Uh, Let's pick Westcar. Okay, so 1823 or 1824, British adventurer Henry Westcar discovered the papyrus during... This is A.D. Yes, I guess British answered that question, but <laughs> I, we were doing BC before and I wanted to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're jumping ahead a little bit. Okay, Henry so Westcar cool. apparently discovered the papyrus during travels in Egypt. For unknown reasons, he didn't note the exact circumstances under which he obtained the artifact, which means that it was stolen. Yeah, yeah, I don't true. know that for a fact, but British adventurer in the 1800s just happens to find an Egyptian artifact. It's his Tomb Raider. I'm thinking that Henry Westcar's got some sticky fingers, but then he just holds on to it for 10 years and gives it to his niece. <laughs> I mean, he didn't immediately take it to a museum or even cash out on it. So in 1838 or 1839, German Egypt, Egyptologist, there it is, Carl Richard Lespius, he claimed to have received the papyrus from Westcar's niece. He himself was able to read some of the signs in the uh, hieratic, He recognized that uh, some of the royal names of the kings and decided that it dated back to the old kingdom. Basically, he just saw some names he recognized and was able to quickly figure out how old it was and how significant it was. So the West Carver Papyrus actually has a lot of uh, what we know now to be typos and grammatical errors. It's actually believed to be a exercise for a student to copy the original papyrus. So there actually would be lots and lots of copies from students that was uh, we can assume it was just part of their curriculum. And so what we have today is actually just what could have been a very young boy's writing. Oh, and it's it's interesting what gets left behind. Right. Because the I mean, there we're essentially deciphering what we know about the uh, ancient Egypt grammar off of a schoolboy's homework assignment. (laughs) That's amazing. So even though there are some consistencies and and grammatical errors, we are still going to have to, because there is no better option, take it at pretty much face value, for lack of a better word. We got to assume that the details are all correct. Okay. We we have to trust this. So is Didi the first magician in the modern sense? And what did he do to make us believe that? 
And where do cups and balls come into this? So describe the cups and balls routine because I'm thinking of one, but I don't know if it's the exact same kind of thing. Sure. Cups and balls is basically the shell game, right? Like keep your eye on the pearl and it's moving around while you you have the, uh, and in film, you see the guy who's like the hustler taking advantage of tourists and you got the pearl underneath the shells and he's swapping them around and through some sleight of hand, the, the, uh, the pearl goes someplace different. And yeah. the, the person who's watching has to guess which one it's under. But it's not gets, under any of them. Gets scammed out of his money. Exactly. Okay. Kind of a variation of that. But the routine of putting a ball under a cup and then shifting them around and making it appear and disappear in different places, it's pure sleight of hand. Right. Didi, however, in the West Carpet Papyrus is described doing something a lot more impressive. Okay. Um, I'm reading this from Ancient Egypt Online. .co.uk, which describes pretty succinctly the story and then also has the full translation, which is also revealing. So the first the fourth story of the West Carpet Papyrus is told by Hardadeth, son of Khufu, and takes place during the reign of Khufu. Hardadeth tells his father of a magician named Didi who has the power to attach a severed head back onto an animal that has been decapitated. Hmm. He also claims that Didi has information about the secret temple of Thoth. So Khufu instructs Hardadef to bring Didi to the court, and he orders Didi to sever and reattach the head of a criminal who was going to be executed anyway. Didi, however, refuses, but he does consent to perform the magic trick on a goose, some kind of waterfowl, and an ox. Khufu then asks Didi to tell him what he knows about the Temple of Thoth, but Didi claims that he doesn't know the number of rooms within, as uh, Hardadef claimed, but he does know where the temple is. So he performs these feats. Is this the first magic trick? And why would we not just think that this is part of the Egyptian religion? Well, Didi is a little bit different. He's described as just a commoner who Hardadef has heard of who can do amazing things. Ooh, ooh. And at this time, he would have just kind of been seen as entertainment. Yeah. So this is kind of the, this is the first place we see of someone who goes into the palace and performs tricks who doesn't actually, he's not described as having any special ability. He can just do these things. And this works the way all history and the way all of our research works, where we can assume that there's a chance that before him, some of this did happen, but this is the first time that we've seen it cataloged. So that seemed like an open and shut case. Didi was the first magician, and he did a form of replacement trickery, not dissimilar from the trick where you shred up a dollar bill and then bring the dollar bill back to its fully restored form. Like, you've seen that before, right? Yeah. And with the summary description, you would think he was just doing... the, The secret to those restoration magic tricks is that there are two versions. There's two dollar bills... There's two napkins. There's two pieces of cloth. Only one is ripped up and then it is replaced with the original, which you've never seen. Yeah. In the story, though, if you actually read the transcript, he pulls the head off of a bird, places the body of the bird on the east side of the palace and the head on the west side. Both of the halves stand up, walk towards each other. Use your imagination how the head is walking and then rejoin themselves. Okay, so now this is sounding a little more fantastical than believable. Yeah, this sounds a little bit more fancy than uh, solo cups on a tennis ball. Yeah, it's something that we still couldn't perform today. And 
kind of cast doubt on whether or not we can call Didi the first magician because this may just be more a uh, mythological story. He makes claims about the future kings of Egypt. So that would be something that later kings would love to invent because it would validate their position, right? Yeah. If they can create a story that says like, oh, it was foretold that I would be king. It really justifies your position as ruler if you are fulfilling a prophecy. Wow. However, there are a few key things here that make us question whether or not there is some truth to this. And it was just exaggerated later. Because remember, if this was truly just mythological, why do they keep in the detail where the king Pharaoh asks him to, re- to replace the head of a prisoner? And he refuses, saying, no, I can't do it on people. This is like a dead giveaway of the replacement magic techniques that still exist because you need to be working with something that is basically identical. Most people can't tell one single dollar bill from another one. So when you replace the ripped up one with a whole one, it looks like the same one. Same thing with ducks. Can't really tell two ducks apart. So if you kill one duck and then replace it with a living duck, it seems like the same duck if you aren't aware that the first duck ever existed. I mean, I can see the difference between ducks, but I think the common man can't. You're right. That sounds like such a fun little part of the job is like going on a duck hunt to figure out exactly which two ducks look the most similar. So just the fact that he has these caveats, these uh, these things that he can't do kind of implies that there was a trick that he was performing. And perhaps the the magic of that trick, the illusion was exaggerated later to make him sound more like a uh, he was tapped into a divine power because that would also then give more weight to the prophecies he gives later. That makes sense. So who decided that Didi was using cups and balls? That's a much less impressive routine. I also feel like that's way less interesting. I mean, I guess that's what you're that's what you're saying with less impressive. But it's also like the idea that I mean, the idea that this guy had at least two magic tricks. One of them involved duck witchcraft and the other and the other one involved red solo cups and a ping pong ball. And you're telling (laughs) you're telling me that people still wrote about the red solo cups and ping pong ball. Exactly. (laughs) The confusion comes from a hieroglyph that was dated to a similar time. There is on the tomb of Baquet the third in Beni Hassan dating back to the 21st century B.C., In the painting, there's two men sitting around a table with inverted bowls and something smaller than the bowl under the bowls. And there's clearly nothing practical going on here. It's some kind of game. It's some kind of puzzle. It's definitely a leisure activity because they're not doing anything practical. And some people interpret this as them performing a cup and balls routine. While others point out that it's probably just another type of game because there were lots in ancient Egypt. Because the, uh, the painting also later depicts juggling and other games, sports, and leisure activities. So looking at this pretty abstract, obviously, painting of two guys holding bowls upside down, people who were probably projecting a little bit thought, there it is, that's cups and balls. That's the first okay. magic trick. I mean, what's going on is that we know the solution to cups and balls. Mm-hmm. We know how it's done. So whenever we see that... In written history, we know that that is a proper magic trick, a work of illusion 
So trying to find the earliest case where that's happening would be the first magic trick. Now, the Romans had a group called the uh, Aceta Tabulari, and that comes from the word for vinegar cup. And these guys are, we know, a group of magicians in the modern sense because they performed, and it was described in detail, the cup and ball routine in ancient Rome. And this group did it for about 250 years, starting as early as 50 A.D. So toward the end of his life in 65 A.D., Seneca, the younger of Rome, he comments about taking pleasure in the mystery of the cup and dice trick. Same thing, just using a die instead of a ball. He also connects the sleight of hand to jugglers in his 45th epistle to Lucilius. Such quibbles are just as harmlessly deceptive as the juggler's cup and dice, in which it is the very trickery that pleases me. But show me how the trick is done, and I have lost my interest therein. This is clearly a reference to modern magic tricks. Yeah. The trick has been the same for 2,000 years, if not longer. It's just the props and the presentation that changes, the personality of the magician. But the actual sleight of hand, the Romans did it the same way. And that is the earliest we can get a definite historical uh, account of magic. But we know that it goes way, way, way farther back in time. But unless we believe that Didi was able to pull the heads off of geese and restore them, we don't really know how far back. Mm, That's wild. So really what this all boils down to is which answer you are comfortable accepting the oldest trick in the book that we know how to do or the oldest trick in the book that is still a mystery to us did he actually perform these feats and they were exaggerated later to sound supernatural there are strange rules and caveats that sort of imply that there is a trick to it or was that just a part of the egyptian mythology and religion and a sort of uh, narrative device to give credence to a later king and the oldest trick in the book is stuff is still just cups and balls. Um, hmm. Something like there's no there's no trickery here. You can find the music at Spotify.com. That's great. Just use that transition. We're already here. We're already in the in the outro, bud. Oh, we did it. Yes. Well, welcome to the outro, listeners that was of the show. Easy. I was overthinking it. You were overthinking it. Just break the wall, bud. Well, now we're on the other side, Kool-Aid Man style, and our theme song was Threadbare. Glimroll wrote that. It's off the album Burden of Proof. It is on Spotify and iTunes and his website, glimrollmusic.com. If you enjoyed that song, then check it out. He's got lots of other good music. And he just released a new EP maybe a month ago, maybe a month and a half or so. And uh, we can give you a 100% strictly confidential guarantee that it slaps. It does. It is a very well-produced record, that's for sure. You will feel wrong not sitting comfortably during a light shower and sipping a coffee. If you can find a classy ottoman with a wooden frame... Sit yourself down in one of those with a coffee mug that one of your friends threw on a pottery wheel, sipping a light roast and listening to Glen Merle's new EP, Serenity. Man, that, if that... you can't find a coffee shop with a fireplace, then maybe you don't deserve this kind of cozy to grace your ears. If you want to follow us on our social media, (laughs) (laughs) 
our sweet, silky social media. We've got a Twitter at S Confident Show and an Instagram at Strictly Confidential Show. And if you want to email us your favorite music, your favorite magic tricks, anything really, just anything, our email address is strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. If you want to be on the show, we want to have you on the show. Interviewers need interviewees. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. Come talk about your supernatural experiences or your conspiracy theories. And if you enjoy this show, tell your best friend that you enjoy it because they'll probably give it a shot. You guys have similar tastes and they might like it just as much as you do. That's why you're friends, to have similar tastes, to talk about the things you're interested in. You know that. (laughs) You don't need me to tell you that. I think that will be all there is until next week. But as always, I've been Asher. I've been Jackson. And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. Until next time, keep your eyes on the pearl. Uh